Hello, my beautiful people. Welcome back. I'm Mel, and you are listening to Wilma the Wonder Hens podcast. Today's episode, we're going to discuss the reproductive system of our hens. Yes, so many things can go wrong. Uh, those ladies are super tough, but they are also quite delicate. We get into a discussion of a few other things, uh, flock management, and some pretty interesting things. And at the end, Jennifer does surprise me with a question, and it, it actually had me speechless. So, yeah, which is very unusual. So, without further ado, let's get into this. Are you excited about your trip, though? I'm very excited about my trip. I, at the same time, I have some trepidation because, you know, I'm leaving my girls. And oh, yeah. Hey, y'all. I'm Mel, and you are listening to Wilma the Wonder Hen. Are you a chicken mouth-loving mama or daddy? Together, we'll dive into the latest poultry-keeping adventures, chat about everyday life with a generous mix of some hilarious stories. Bringing you fascinating interviews with poultry owners from all over. You'll find tips and basic advice from your local veterinarian, along with new chicken keeping gadgets and reviews. I'm going to see what Mr. Jangles and Wilma has to say about that. We're going to encourage and help you build a stronger, healthier flock. Let's go see what Mr. Jangles and Wilma is up to. Let's go let these heifers out. Five weeks is a long time. So, I mean, they'll be good. They'll be happy being out at the farm, especially they'll be happy. Um, I wasn't going to initially take them out there, but we've done some additional tests and the vet has given the all clear. So they don't even know why what is happening is happening with those two. So I'm going to take it back to bad animal, bad animal husbandry issues and breeding practices from whatever the hatchery is that the the feed store that I was buying them from is getting them from. So did you ever find out who is the provider of the chicks there? Yes. And I called them and I spoke to them and they sent messages through um, on the IBD positive. Um, The, they they don't, yeah, they say that they don't vaccinate, but the, the thing is, is that if, if my girls, I mean, IBD kills, right? So it's, if, if they had gotten it at his chick, I would have expected to lose them or one, at least a, some of them during the time where they were susceptible to getting it. And I don't know. I don't know. I just, it's a weird thing. So yeah. I'm just wondering if maybe the, the parents or the mom had some immunity and she just passed it through. Um, yeah. Or maybe the mom's a carrier. And again, because she's an active carrier, you know, she still passed some of her immunity through to the chicks. So it's hard to say. But my understanding, though, with it, like if it was an NPIP, wouldn't that be something that was um, tested for? Maybe it depends on the state. Um, maybe it depends on the state. I, I don't know. To be honest, I really don't know. You would think, I mean, because the hatchery's in Arizona, so I can't say what Arizona state right, requires right. Um, and to ship the chicks there isn't really anything that's required um, other than them I, I think that they might have to 
attest that the they're free from avian and i think there's a couple of others that have to be tested for i don't really i don't know that part for interstate shipping i haven't really had to be responsible for shipping livestock well that's not true i've done livestock but it was horses and cows and stuff so we were testing for like equine encephalitis and um hoof and mouth and those kinds of things for cross state health certificates i've done haven't done poultry so i don't know but so far all the rest of your girls are fine though right Everybody's fine. And we did the course of antibiotics. We, she had me do a 14-day course of oxytetracycline on the mm-hmm. whole flock um, because of the diarrhea issues. And the diarrhea has kind of cleared up at this point. I mean, there'll be an occasional loose stool, but what I was seeing before with the diarrhea has gone away. So it could have just been some gut issue that was kind yeah. of going around through the flock. Um, yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. You never know. They always come up with something. <laughs> they, they just do. love to entertain us and educate they us. They do. The greatest education you'll get with owning chickens is owning chickens. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's great to be prepared. And we always talk about being prepared and stuff. But once you're in it, that's when uh, you got to really ramp it up and figure out yep. things that are going on. And a lot of times you have to just eliminate things because... You know, obviously they can't tell you what's going on, but yeah. Like as an example, I had the the I had a, a spray that we were using to clean down the deck and stuff um, to help combat with flies and you know those kinds of things. And I basically just told the gardener who was using it, I was like, only use this on the dog side. Don't use it on the chicken side because I I didn't know if maybe it was a contributing factor to the cancer. For right. as an instance, is yeah. it's not supposed to. It's supposed to be non-toxic, biodegradable. It's made for cleaning animal spaces, but I just don't know. So I'm just going to eliminate that. We hope and everything just <laughs> turns out just fine and dandy. I hope so too. I'm hoping I don't have to deal with any more of those for a while. <laughs> It'll be yeah. nice if I can just get the bumblefoots cleared up. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Tuck is back to Bumblefoot again. He's the only one, but for some reason, I just think it never fully cleared up. I mean, Bumblefoot is, someone asked me the other day, you know, uh, do X, Y, and Z, and it's, you know, it's cleared up, right? And I'm like, "Mm, not really, because if you miss miss any any tiny little bit of that infection in there, it's going to come right back. So Mm -hmm. even the best chicken keepers, you know, that really pay attention and stuff. Stuff happens, so yep. Okay, yep, it does. It's just the nature of the beast. Doesn't make you a bad animal keeper simply because your animals end up with bumblefoot. Inevitably, if you keep chickens, you will be dealing with bumblefoot at some point. Yeah, I only say that because I I saw it. uh, Someone post about you know my chickens never get bumblefoot. My chickens never get sick. You know all these things, and it's Mm -hmm. you know because I pay attention to them. Which is great. I'm glad. I'm glad that they are proud of you know that effort that they make. But kind of discounts those who, uh, reality wise, we're all most of us that I know, yeah, are really trying. So mm-hmm. it doesn't make you a bad chicken mama. <laughs> so yep. it's, it's okay, people. But anyways, yep. that's not why we have you here. But we are so excited because <laughs> I absolutely adore you, Jennifer. Is I love very, you too. very, very smart. Uh, and very knowledgeable, but not just that. She is probably uh, one of my very, very special friends that I just adore. 
I just adore. I love you too. <laughs> I also want y'all to know that a lot of people ask, um, or they try and give advice on this or that or whatever. And I, I don't want to be rude to them because when I post something, I'm not actually asking for advice. I have a mentor, which actually is Miss Jennifer and our <laughs> local veterinarian. So uh, when I say that, I, I don't want people to misunderstand. I'm not being rude. Uh, I'm not looking for advice because I have some of the best advice, <laughs> the best people that I can actually go to. So the knowledge I pass on to you is from them if that makes sense. So it's kind of a trickle down effect. I would say that that's the same for me, Mel, because you're my sounding board too, when I'm having to work through a problem, or if I haven't experienced something yet, and I need tips and because nine times out of 10, you've either gone through it, or you know, someone who has and you have the answers for me as well. Yeah, so we don't say that to be rude in any way. Uh, you know, I appreciate people sharing their, you know, what has worked for them and that. But don't take offense if I'm, I don't accept that advice and I go other places to look for advice. Okay, so we get that out of the way. <laughs> but, in, <laughs> but the reason why Jennifer is here, we want to talk a little bit. I actually wanted this episode to be because of the situation with Miss Coco, with my Coco last year. Uh Things had symptoms that had come up and I didn't, I kind of overlooked them because of her age. So they kind of coincided with some of the things that we turned out to be, well, kind of back up. Uh, Coco passed away uh, January and we had a necropsy done and it came back as EYP. So the reason why I wanted Jennifer to come on is uh, to kind of share what that is, the things that are involved in that. Um, symptoms, uh, things that I overlooked because I based it on age, like Coco was eight years old. So some of those things, uh, kind of overlapped for me. Uh, so we kind of want Jennifer to go over that. I know a lot of people in our community, they've had chickens that have passed from this and maybe there are risk factors we can talk about. Hi, Jennifer. How are you today? I'm Hi. good. How are you? Are I, I just want to create a disclaimer. I'm not an expert on this subject in any way, shape, or form, but I'm going to share with you as much information as I personally have at this time. Yes, that was our disclaimer. Uh, Jennifer is not a veterinarian. She is a uh, very knowledgeable, retired... Registered veterinary technician. Yes, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> My brain went dumb. <laughs> which That's is, all right. Which is a lot of times, but I'm going to let Jennifer take over from here, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so egg yolk peritonitis is actually relatively common. Um, one of the things I've learned is, is that it actually does become a more prevalent problem as uh, hens age. Um, so an advanced age is, can be a contributing factor. Um, but basically what egg yolk peritonitis is, is that the egg yolk, rather than um, when it is released rather than it going into the fallopian tube and making its way through through the standard process. <laughs> uh, it, it actually escapes into the abdominal cavity um, and usually ends up affixing itself to the peritoneum, um, hence the egg yolk peritonitis because yes. this is inflammation of the peritoneum. <laughs> um, uh, symptoms typically include lethargy um, as it advances, inability to stand and walk, loss of appetite, not drinking. Um, you can also ex notice uh, distension of the abdomen. So it'll 
even mimic um, ascites where like you'll get fluid in the abdomen. Uh, and the only way to know the difference between that, uh, between ascites and whether or not it's egg yolk peritonitis is actually to do um, uh, a synthesis, pull fluid from the abdominal cavity and look at it underneath a microscope to see if you actually observe any of the egg yolk materials in the, the fluid. So it can be difficult and it can easily be something else other than egg yolk peritonitis that can be causing the symptoms. But yeah, egg yolk peritonitis is usually one of the first things we think about when we see some of these things in a bird that was otherwise okay. Because um, usually acetis doesn't just happen overnight, right? Um, right? Whereas with egg yolk peritonitis, it comes on really quick yeah. and that can that bird can go down really quick from that. Okay. When we talk about where the Egg yolk is not going through the oviduct like it's supposed to, right? And it's not coming out of the cloaca. Instead, it kind of embeds itself into the abdominal cavity. I did read somewhere where it does have the potential to reabsorb. The chicken can reabsorb that. So it won't be, you know, it may have happened in all of your chickens or hens and you just never knew it. You know, I'm not saying that is the case, but I did read some research where it does, it can reabsorb and not become a problem. But then yep. there's also, you know, things like lash egg and um, where the bacteria gets up into the oviduct and mm. it can cause the bacterial infection. And these are different things like cancer, you know, twisting of the oviduct, things that are genetically that you can't control. Like they're genetically, that's just part of your bird's genetics that they're... Yeah. I would just say that if your bird is experiencing these symptoms, the best thing that you can do to treat them is to give them um, palliative care. So palliative care, what is that? Uh, it's, you're going to start them on electrolyte fluids. You're going to offer them a mash, try and get them to eat and drink because ultimately if they're not eating and drinking, that's going to be what causes them to go down faster than anything else. Uh, unfortunately with egg yolk peritonitis or something that is bacterial, <clears throat> if they are showing symptoms of that way um, without antibiotics, there's not going to be much that you're going to be able to do in order to probably save them long-term. But that's not to say that there's no reason to give palliative care because it's always entirely possible that they might be able to kind of just let their body's natural immunity work through whatever they're dealing with and come out the other side. Okay. So I mean, I would, that would be my suggestion. I know like with Coco, some of the symptoms with her in real life, I know there's textbooks uh, symptoms, but last year I noticed in July, so that what she would have been seven, uh, mm -hmm. she stopped laying eggs. So mm -hmm. it really wasn't a concern because, you know, she was old. So no big deal. She stopped laying eggs. And then I noticed during um, the summer months, she had a little bit of diarrhea. Mm -hmm. Okay, that is also part of it, but it was also very hot and they were consuming a lot of water, which is, you know, not a big concern because that's what happens during the summer. They can get a little bit of diarrhea. They're taking in more fluids and it's going through their body quickly. And then she also, uh, I noticed a little bit of swelling in her abdomen. So she did go to the vet for that, but it really just kind of went away on its own. You know, that really wasn't a concern either. So when she got attacked by the hawk in January, uh, I thought that is what, obviously she went to the veterinarian prescribed antibiotics for her wounds and, you know, and pain medication. Although her wounds healed up quite nicely, that was it. She went downhill mm -hmm. fast. Yeah. No eating, no drinking. And I also noticed with the lameness, that can also mimic 
uh, things like marriage Marics. and things yeah. that would really scare you. So that's why I chose to have a necropsy done to make sure that she didn't have something that could be spread throughout the entire flock. And honestly, yeah. I was shocked when it came back, when it came back. So yeah, I didn't see it coming and I feel bad, but I really do. I don't know if I could have saved her is what I'm saying. If I gave her the antibiotics, we always look back and think, but yeah. And she may not have been able to, it may be that, you know, between what her body was having to fight off, having to deal with the infection from the hawk, that it just was overwhelmed between the egg yolk peritonitis. Because like you said, you're describing symptoms of a prolonged uh, experience probably that she was dealing with egg yolk peritonitis where it was yeah. going in, but her body was able to kind of just deal with it as it was happening. And um, maybe because she was older, she certainly wasn't ovulating as often or as frequently as she would. So it gave her body time to kind of just be able to flesh that uh, and deal with it on its own. And just the dealing with both the infection from the the hawk attack and also her body having to fight the the uh symptoms of the egg yolk peritonitis is probably was just too much for her um given her advanced age so could you talk a little bit about what are the risk factors for the hands is it just genetics are there things that we can do to help prevent those types of things occurring in our hands i don't think that there is much that one can do to prevent um, there is some, there are some studies that show that obesity can be a contributing factor for these hens. So I think the best thing that we can do as backyard keepers is to make sure that we are not overfeeding our animals and not create contributing because obviously obesity in, in hens can lead to a lot more than just egg yolk peritonitis yeah. can lead to, um, you know, large, overly large eggs and, yes. um, egg binding prolapse. Uh, vent a whole bunch of problems. So um, in addition to, you know, obesity and hens also going to lead to things like um, fatty liver syndrome and other things that can kill. Um, so I think as, as backyard keepers, the best thing we can do is give our animals a well-balanced meal, make sure that they have plenty of space to be able to have physical and gain physical activity and exercise um, and to not give them more treats than <laughs> it's healthy for them to have. Treats really need to be treats. Like imagine if you're throwing scratch to your chickens every single day in massive handfuls and quantities. Yeah. Um, that's like throwing cake to your kids every single day for them to eat. It's right. the exact same thing. Um, so I, I would say, you know, make sure that you're giving your, your animals, um, you know, their, their layer or their, their feed rations, the appropriate ones for based on your flock con um, configuration and uh, plenty of greens, right? Those can always yes. be fed. Um, but anything outside of those two things should be very moderated. Um, you know, limit the scratch, limit the, the worms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially the dried worms. The dried worms actually have a, a pretty high fat content to them yes, as well. Yes, they do. They do. That's very true. We love to give them the bugs. Mine were always free range. So, you know, they, they probably walked, I, I mean, 100 miles a day. I mean, I know that sounds a little extreme, but literally they would go all over the place. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but there's always things that we look back and we can, um, you know, just try and improve on to improve their chances of having a longer, healthier life. I did read, I don't know, but I did read where um, the 
production hens that are bred to obviously yes. pop pump out eggs continuously, not like heritage breeds. You know, they they grow takes longer to grow, takes longer to produce an egg. Uh, yep. But these production hens tend to be the highest on uh, the uh, mortality rate for this type of um, disease. Yeah. I think that that's generally true for anything that's related to reproductive issues is, is that because these hens have been bred to basically reproduce, ultimately every time they lay an egg, that's their body trying to reproduce um, and at such a high ratio that you have far more issues um, with the, with those breeds than you would with the heritage breeds and or breeds that are just generally not uh, intended to have such a light, uh, heavy production. I also read on there about, uh, you know, trying to get your hens to giving calcium and things like that too early uh, to, you know, younger pullets to kind of get them to lay, you know, get them to lay a little faster. Also, I did read, uh, these are just scientific studies that I did read uh, one was a study where the daylight hours were um, supplementing. Yeah, they were giving yes. extra daylight. See, they were giving extra light to produce during the winter instead of giving yeah. their bodies a natural break. So I yeah. did see a higher risk there. So these are just things that uh, I did try and research prior to add into because you didn't get I didn't get a lot of information on risk factors. You know, like you said, obesity you know, making sure they have enough exercise, those types of things, but genetically, you know, played a huge factor, but also, you know, producing hens for eggs, you know, production hens and, you know, adding supplemental, supplemental lighting when they would naturally take a break during the winter months and things. Yep. So... Yeah. I mean, if you're a backyard keeper, your your I I would imagine your main goal is your birds are going to be like pets, your pets for your family. Um, so I I would like to advocate on behalf of the animal of, so that they are allowed to have you know let what their body do naturally, which is to have those uh, winter months where they're either slowing in production or they're allowed to stop production entirely as they age. Um, that's good for their bodies just generally. I mean, I understand some of us need to do it for food. So, you know, yeah. I'm not going to tell somebody who's, you know, uh, trying Obviously. to right. yeah, feed their family <laughs> that yeah. they shouldn't feed their family during the wintertime because certainly that's not the case. Yeah, um, no disrespect. But, I, I certainly didn't mean, you know, if that's your family's source of food, obviously, but these were just uh, some research things, some papers that I did read yeah. that uh, just the things to consider. That's all. I mean, Definitely not telling anyone how to mind their own flocks. That's for sure. You stay out of my flock. I'll stay out of yours. (laughs) If you're trying to make sure that you can avoid this in your flock, these are all good tips that you can um, take into consideration as you manage your flock. Can you talk a little bit uh, or what, uh, what knowledge you have on lash egg and how does this differ from the EYP? Uh, Yeah. So lash egg. Yeah, salpingitis. Yeah, that's okay. Salpingitis. Uh, it, it it differs in that um, now the egg has actually, or the yolk has been released into the oviduct, and it does uh, make its way in. But for whatever reason, it doesn't um, produce. It, it doesn't follow through. It doesn't make its way through in the norm, normal path. And there's usually it's because there there is an in, 
uh, bacterial infection or can actually even be viral sometimes, but normally it, it's bacterial and um, it can lead to the uh, egg yolk lingering in the oviduct and then the body does what it does which is try and protect itself and so it starts to encapsulate that um, what it sees now as a foreign body uh, and and try to protect itself from it uh, and when you end up with if if the hen passes it because it's not also uncommon for once a, a hen starts to get lashing this actually happened with annie with my angro um, for her to start to retain those so she will start to Again, it goes back to that um, symptom of they start to feel heavy. They're gaining weight yeah. in a very fast manner. Um, they may pass one or two of them, and and that would be your first clue. Um, but again, it's another one of those things where without antibiotics, um, and in this case, uh, where usually you have this problem if if it's an older hen, uh, if you can't stop the ovulation. Uh, it's just going to keep coming back. It's really hard to combat. Um, and that's so sometimes it, it's, you, you see people with implants that is that yeah. to stop the, the eggs the ovulation. production. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like Sammy girl <laughs> her, yes. her takes her in and gets her implanted. Cause he, he wants to keep her around for as long as possible. Yeah. Um, and obviously with her lifestyle, she really can't afford to be sitting on the nest all the time. No, <laughs> <laughs> no that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. So how can we treat that? How is that normally treated with antibiotics? I mean, I know you said viral. Is that like MG sometimes can cause that? I read some of that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it depends. Yeah, certain viruses can can contribute to it. But yeah, normally it, it's going to be bacterial and it's typically treated with antibiotics. Um, again, one of those things where you probably will need to involve a veterinarian in order to get a prescription, depending on your state's requirements. Um, the by, I, one thing I do want to say is, is, you know, when we talk about somebody, it, something needs antibiotics, the antibiotics that you would use for one thing is not always the same type of antibiotics that you will use for another thing. So, you know, using the, an antibiotic that you have maybe previously been given like, uh, um, Clavamox or something, yeah. which is usually something that would be, we would use for an external wound, right. Um, it's not going to be the same as what you will get if you are dealing with an internal bacterial infection because you have anaerobic and aerobic bacteria that you're dealing with in those two different scenarios. So, the same drugs don't treat the same bacteria. So I do caution people to start trying to treat their animals on their own without knowing exactly what they're treating for, because that's what creates um, bacterial resistant strains. <laughs> we need to. Yeah. Didn't mean to interrupt you. You can continue. But I, I know a lot of people that they maybe they can't find a veterinarian and they just go to the feed store and they get a general antibiotic and some and just because it's not working yeah. doesn't mean that it's not treatable, I guess is what I'm saying. You just need a different antibiotic. Yeah. You may be using the wrong thing. Yep. So you need to know what you're treating. You also could be, I mean, by unnecessarily giving your animals antibiotics, you also could be dealing or causing uh, uh, yeast infections in their diet, uh, GI tract. It could build up because you're killing off all the good bacteria along with trying to kill off the bad bacteria. And if your ba antibiotic isn't even killing the bad bacteria that you want, then you're unnecessarily killing off the good bacteria. Yes, yes. Very true. Very true. Very, very true. It needs to be seen by a veterinarian. Most cases, it's very hard to self-treat. It very much is. 
unless you have the ability to do the cytology and look at, you know, draw out some fluid from your hen's abdomen and look at it under and know what you're seeing under the microscope. It's very, very difficult. Um, so again, I go back to palliative care. The best thing you can do for your animals, just try and keep them comfortable for as long as possible and see if their immunity can work through it. Um, or if you really know what you have, you're dealing with and you have the right antibiotics, then, you know, go ahead and, and treat as you feel is appropriate. These aren't just, these are just symptoms that, you know, that you're going to deal with in your chicken flock. It, it these are also things that can come up in turkeys and ducks and geese and other things. So um, the strain of bacteria that they might be dealing with or some of the, the viruses will be specific to, you know, the breed. But yeah, I was going to ask you, what do you uh, what is your advice for looking for chicken breeds or reputable sources? I know we mentioned a little bit about genetics. Um, and I, I do think that does play quite a bit into it. That's just me personally. I think the genetics, uh, like with Coco, and now I'm afraid I probably won't breed. I won't. Well, she's gone now, but uh, definitely any of her kids. I, I worry about uh, hatching any of her offspring's eggs. Um, as far as breeding is concerned, to be honest, you know, as long as you're not breeding a individuals that you know are actually actively carrying issues. I, I mean, again, Coco was eight, right? So she did live a pretty decent long life. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that she's predisposed or that her offspring will, will necessarily oh, be predisposed. Um, you know, yeah. inbreeding is the biggest problem where, you know, if you, you were to breed her offspring mm -hmm. with a, more of her offspring where now you're going to potentially bring in, um, you know, the, the potential for maybe something that might otherwise be recessive to uh, display itself or to come into, to play into the individuals that you're breeding. Um, that would be my best advice on breeding. Uh, as far as hatcheries and those kinds of things, I don't know, I haven't done enough research on which hatcheries are the best. I've talk to different vets and every vet has different ones that they like or that they think are, are you know, the good ones to deal with. Um, I would just say, you know, make sure that whoever you're dealing with is an ethical breeder and that they're doing things to, for the betterment of the animals that they're breeding and not just to make money. I know we, we talked a little bit about the implant, but I don't think that's available here. Is that true? I think it's only in uh, other countries. Okay. No. It's available here. It, it it's it, it's available here. Um, it's not available. Well, right, it's, it's not labeled. supposed to be used for a, a bunch of different things, right? So, but yeah, no, it's available here, and it and it's used in the United States. Um, not every veterinarian wants to deal with it or to to do it. So you know, you get you have to find the veterinarian that's willing to to work with you and do those kinds of things. But I, I would imagine that most avian um, vets. If if they're working with birds and they're doing, they're going to be doing those kinds of birds in in parrots and other types of birds. So, you know, doing it in a chicken, yeah, or a duck or something is it's again, it's just up to them on whether or not they're willing to treat those animals. Thank you for your answer. Appreciate that. I I never had to deal with it, so I couldn't remember. I know I've seen lots of people that uh, take their birds to get their implants every so often. You know, once it starts wearing off, and yeah. So, but I've never six months. Like I don't know anyone personally that uh, in real life that has you know a chicken that has an implant. But 
I mean, I do, now that I'm looking back, yeah. I did have a bunch of guilt over Coco, you know, missing some of those things. Cause I always preach about being, you know, doing your chicken exams and keeping your eyes on them and stuff, you know, and I contributed all of her stuff just from slowing down and from being, cause she never really was like sick, sick. She was just like little things popped up here and there and they just all kind of overlaid together with other things. She yep. was always eating. She was always drinking. She was always top hen. Even then she was, you know, running those hens off. Yep. She was in charge and it wasn't until that hawk attacked. I think, like you said, it was just too much stress and she just, she just succumbed to it. So, but she had eight great years yeah. here. So I'm very happy about that. Yeah. She's a good little mama hen. Yeah, it, it's hard with egg yolk peritonitis or anything that, you know, again, because there are just so many contributing factors and the symptoms often can look like something else. So it, it is very difficult to know. It's just the hardest part about yeah. keeping. Okay. Well, that's all my questions, unless you've got something else you want to add. It is always an honor to have you on. Always. <laughs> Well, I love coming on and getting a chance to chat to you and see your gorgeous face in the morning. It's technically not morning here. It's almost noon here. So yeah, that's true. It's your morning. Yeah. But it's my morning. So <laughs> I still get to see your face in my morning. Well, you're not under lockdown yet, are you? We're under lockdown. Oh, so. And lockdown is really starting no. to suck because no. Mine are used to free ranging, I bet. and I say that all the time. But once your birds have grown up that way, I mean, we had babies free ranging with their mamas here, you know, yep. and we never lost one from any kind of hawk or anything. I mean, we honestly didn't. Mr. Jingles was very good about hiding them and all that stuff. And what made me so mad is that they actually, Coco was attacked while she was in the enclosure. And, but I think she was just so slow. Wow that you know she just didn't make it in yeah. everybody else was up but need, not to go back on that again but flock down is really starting to suck uh, my chickens want out but okay. we're not doing that and we're not letting any broodies hatch any babies out in the environment i have three broodies right now and i'm fighting with them yeah. but nobody is allowed to hatch out <laughs> not right now but i may be to yeah. I may be tempted to bring Oreo inside my she shed and let her hatch some babies. <laughs> yeah. I let mean, her have some babies inside. Miss Pumpkin is great. That's Miss Pumpkin. basically destroyed my house, though. Right now, I just I just cleaned out her pen, <laughs> and she was not doing too good there. She was molting. Yeah. Uh, it was winter time, oh, you know, it was it. really, really cold. So I didn't even, mm -hmm. I, she has her own dust bath and stuff inside. So it's not like she doesn't get to dust bath and play in dirt and stuff, but she hadn't been able to go outside, yeah. outside, especially with all that was going on, plus flock down. Uh, where would I put her? I'd have to put yeah. her with a flock and she fights with everybody. So I'm building her a covered area just to go outside in by herself. But anyway, she mm -hmm. has completely destroyed her entire pen today. She has, there's pine shavings everywhere <laughs> and her color on her face is coming back now. So yeah, she's doing good. Oh, she, good. We went through a little bit of a, not such a good time because of the weather and the flock down and you had to really think on your toes. What am I going to do? What yeah. can I do? And Patsy's in my she shed because her she yeah. got in a fight with her group. Uh, she's always been top hand in the old English game bird pen. 
there was an upruling and they kicked her out. I mean, they kicked her out. Mm. And I've tried three times to put her back in and all they're Poor doing is girl. fighting. So now she stays in my she shed until I figure out what to do with her. Oh, I may gosh. put her and Pumpkin together. Uh, How old is she now? Patsy is, let's see. Patsy is at least four. When I got her, she was full grown. She okay. and Kat. Yeah. Yeah, maybe see if her and Pumpkin can just, be buddies Because now. Patsy is actually... <laughs> Patsy came with Cash in June and Reba and Loretta. And Loretta was killed by the rat snake. And mm-hmm. uh, Patsy is actually no bigger than Pumpkin is. So Cash was way too big for her. And uh, they came from a friend of mine who mm-hmm. had to get rid of all her chickens. And they were actually came as a group. And I'm not sure how old they were when I first got them. Um, they were laying eggs when I got them. So. But anyway, she was way too small for cash. So I moved her into the old English game bird pen, which is the same size as her. But then yada, 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 yada. Tragic broke out last week. So now we, we now we Aww. stuck with a chicken in here, a chicken in there. And I got six baby chicks in my house that hatched out in the incubator. <laughs> <laughs> I saw them. They're so cute. Those are the babies. Um, <laughs> these are... Um, Loretta, not Loretta, Laverne and Shirley, my two uh, lavenders that I purchased from Hatching Eggs, and my mm-hmm. Easter Eggers, or Olive Eggers. That's their eggs times Mr. Jangles. So these are, my goal was to yeah. create fresh new um, stock out of Mr. Jangles. Obviously, it's not a purebred because I, yeah. I didn't use Penelope's eggs with Mr. Jangles. So I use these girls uh, to create. Um, something new. So I'm hoping I get a rooster out of that, and then I can put. Yeah. How much turnover in your flock do you actually experience on an annual basis? I know this is a difficult conversation, but honestly, oh, I think that one. this is something that we no, we don't we never talk about. Really, you know, we don't talk about it. I mean, I haven't done any posts about with what I was going on with you know with mm-hmm. my girls, and I've lost yeah. two birds in the last you know, three months. And, and I know you and a larger flock, it, it's, it's a normal part of flock keeping. We never talk about just the natural attrition that happens because birds yeah. pass away not, for I've whatever reason. I've never thought about that. I'll have to, I mean, not never, but uh, like with Co- Coco passed and yeah. Loretta passed yeah. while she was killed by a rat snake. But mm-hmm. one of my old English, Miss Brittany last year. So there's a few. I mean, yeah. there's a few. And some of the roosters that I've had over the years have went to other farms. So I don't keep all of them either. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. we've not lost a whole lot, honestly. But we have lost a few. Yeah. Uh, and most of the roosters, like I said, do go to other farms. I have currently have 12 roosters. And uh, there's too many. So I have three right now that are probably mm-hmm. going to go to another place. Now, I don't get rid of them just to get okay. rid of them. And uh, I know some people, um, they eat their extra roosters, which, I mean, teach their own. Uh, these little Bantam guys, I don't know. <laughs> They'd be like little rotisserie chickens, <laughs> I guess. Personally, I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, yeah, I They're such cute them, little boys, though. I do I do know a few little farms that yeah. may want uh, one or two. But that's the reality of it. I mean, that's absolutely the reality of it. If you're hatching yeah. your own birds, you're going to end up with extras. You're going to most people keep their hatch their hens, of course, 
and then all these extra roosters. And I mm-hmm. did make a post about this not too long ago about how many roosters, because that's a, my probably my most asked question, how many roosters do I have? And I have 12. And people are like, oh, my gosh, yeah. how do you deal with that? They're all in many flocks. They're all separated. And you're yeah. right. It does get to a point. I can't <clears throat> keep separating groups. I can't have 100 groups here. I mean, yeah. You don't no, have enough room I for that many runs and groups and, and stuff. Exactly. More. So you're right. But yeah, there is going to yeah. be some turnover this year. I don't know how many roosters I have in that six yeah. uh, little baby chicks. So that's part of it. That's just the reality of it. Some people. It's one of the harder things. I mean, if you're doing, especially if you're going to do a breeding program, because you can't just keep breeding and breeding and breeding and, and, you, you've got to f- give some away or <laughs> that's absolutely true. Um, and that's, yeah, that's a reality I'm facing right now. So, which isn't anything new, yeah. but, um, yeah, you can have too many. So, yeah. <laughs> At what point do you go from a chicken keeper <laughs> to a chicken hoarder? The reason why I don't know how to answer this is because when you ask that, it almost sunk into my my little heart. I was like, "Oh my gosh, she's right." One, I I have to figure this out. Uh, I've figured it out over the years, but uh, it's been pretty easy to be honest because the extra roosters I have yeah. haven't been that many, and I've been able to find homes for them. And what happens after that? I really, you know, I mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't. And I have to figure out what I'm going to do next. Now I'm not sure what I should do. Yes. Do you name every names. single one of your birds? Yes. And you remember yes. all of their names? Oh my gosh, Mel. <laughs> if I had as many birds as you, I'd be like, I can't remember. Or this one, I get confused with that one all now, the time. Some of my, I don't know some how of my you English game bird bands, which I'm not breeding any more of those. I, I, I don't know. I may just let that pen mm-hmm. eventually die out. Uh, not to sound cruel, but you know, just mm-hmm. age out. I guess, just not breed anymore yeah, of just them. Not, uh, yeah. Um. So, but in that group, they uh, the males have names, but all of the uh, only English gamer girls are just called Miss Britneys. They've always been called that. And then I have the Bantam, mm. uh, not Bant. Yeah, I have the Bantam Easter Eggers that are in that pen. They all have names. So because they are all individually look different okay the the britneys in there all look like miss yeah. pumpkin they all look exactly the same except i could pick miss brit miss pumpkin out yeah i do they all do have names and <laughs> i know them all as of right now my chicks don't have names that's crazy and my quail are all just um quail because quail <laughs> quail um, we- <laughs> How's that going with keeping quail? It's, it's different, yeah? The very first one. Wow, now, that's I am going to expand that program. I think I'm going to do um, some type of breeding program with my quail, maybe. I only, got, I only have seven. Okay, so. fine. And my quail aviary that I built is probably overkill. I mean, it's way too much for them. So that means I can add quail and they're so little <laughs> so, so. yes well you, you, you know we always tell people all the time when you're building a coop and you're deciding to build That's a coop build more than what you need because 
chicken mass, right? That's exactly what we did. <laughs> I mean, we got a full floor for it. It's, it has yeah. a separate hutch that they can go into. Uh, it's completely covered nice. in hardware cloth. I mean, top, bottom, all around. It was one of my birthday gifts and my Christmas gift and all those things mixed together. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, I can fit a lot more. Nice. Yep. Okay, that gives me something to think about. And uh, I'd like to know if our listeners, what they would do with, if they do raise their own and hatch their own, what do you do with the extra um, chickens that you may have? Uh, most people, like I said, keep their hens, but they do tend to rehome or uh, cook up some roosters. <laughs> no judgment here. So. But we love you. We appreciate you. And we hope to have you back on again. And uh, I'll see you. I'll see yes. you around. Bye, y'all. Love you. you Bye. You love you. Bye. I'm Mel, and you are listening to Wilma the Wonder Hens.